smiling faces out there? Amen. Amen. So we have the 4th of July we get to celebrate. We have newfound freedoms in the auditorium we are celebrating. You can hear it in the excitement and the music and just the, the fellowship that we have. This room was buzzing this morning with energy. And because I know how to read a room, today I'm going to talk to you about suffering and judgment. <laughs> As a small way to celebrate the way that the Lord has blessed us and blessed this church over the difficulties of this last year plus, we are going to have a church potluck on the 18th. And so we're going to do that back in the gym, and I'd like to encourage you to come to that. And uh, for this one, go the extra mile. Make that little something extra special, and uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. And it's time for us to have some fun together and play. Yes. Um, I'd also like you to be a part of our congregational meeting on the 11th after services. We're going to uh, share some of the results from our Let's Dream Together survey and kind of give you an update on the finances and other things in the church, maybe less exciting stuff, but come be a part of that if you're a, a member of this congregation. So last week in Peter, he was reminding us that Christ as Christians that we have been given our two-minute warning. Our two-minute warning that we are to live in a state of preparedness and anticipation for whatever might come our way. So Peter says these words to us. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So if you missed last week, here's the sermon in a nutshell. We're called to pray. Our prayers that come from clear-minded and self-controlled lives. As Christians, you know, when we, when we pray, we need to be clear in our thinking. We need to know where the real enemies are. We need to know how to pray with greatest effect for not just flowery words coming out of our, mouth, our mouths, but real life, trouble, situations, the real stuff that we're dealing with. Second, uh, commanded to love one another. It says love covers over a multitude of sins. Don't think of it as like a scale. My sin on one side and love on the other. No, what it's saying is just the way love works. Love just paves the way. And when love isn't there, sin just chews us up. But when love is there, there's forgiveness, there's all the cracks and crustiness that we have. Love smooths that over. It fills in those cracks. It makes a way. And then we are commanded to practice hospitality. We live or die as a church based on our hospitality. And our hospitality says something about the quality of our love. Using all of our various gifts of service to glorify God, we use what we've got, whatever you've got. We all got something. Are you using what you got to bring glory to God, to make God look good? So 
now at the conclusion of his letter, Peter brings us back to the topic of suffering. So we do, we're actually talking about suffering and judgment. But Peter means it to be an encouragement for us. It's supposed to be encouraging for us. Because um, the reality is, uh, these Christians were undergoing some heavy persecution. Uh, at a level that you and I don't necessarily understand or appreciate. So that's why, I, in part, I named this series, uh, The Word Art of Peter, but living in the shadow of a hostile world. These Christians were in the shadow of a hostile world. They were under scrutiny. So Peter says these words to us. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you were suffering. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So unpopular message number one from Peter this morning. Suffering. Suffering. It's a tough sell. And what Peter's talking about, it really flies in the face of a health and wealth, uh, prosperity kind of gospel. Where we just name it and claim it. And uh, we should expect goodies from heaven all the time. And when those goodies aren't there, it's because we are failing in some way. And we're broken in some way. This isn't what the New Testament writers talk about at all. They talk about a reality of suffering for everyone. A lot of Christians are just trying to call down the goodies from heaven. And we do that in a way. We just want to keep living our life the way that we want to live it. And then suddenly start working without a consideration of what God wants for his desires. So I want wealth. I want health. I want happiness. And I want God to give me these things. But we don't necessarily want God's plans, God's expectations, or frankly, we don't care about God's company. I'm quite happy if he leaves me alone, he sends the goodies, the care packages from heaven, and just let me do my thing, Lord. None of us would say this, it sounds so crass. But this is the way, functionally, a lot of us live, even as, even as people who claim Christ. So inevitably, when issues arise that challenge that kind of narrative, when things get a little bit uncomfortable, when they get a little tough, when we have to suffer a little bit, much less face some kind of persecution like these Christians did, uh, it really rocks some people's faith. It does, and it calls into question our whole way of thinking. And our mindset is, I've paid my dues, God. I'm obviously on your side. I'm doing this for you in your name. And you are holding back. You're holding back the goodies from heaven. You're holding back with health issues. You're holding back with my, you know, what I need and my wealth. You're holding back from happiness. I'm not as happy as I feel like I should be. But suffering is a part of being a Christian. That's because suffering is a part of our human condition. And I think Peter's original audience, those people knew a whole lot more about suffering than I know. But it's good to be reminded 
that we shouldn't think it's strange when we go through difficult things. We, th we shouldn't think it's strange when trials come our way. Uh, of course, a lot of personal suffering, we bring it on ourselves. It comes from our pride, it comes from our stubbornness, it comes from our stupidity, it comes from our bad choices. We all know that sometimes bad choices have results that we don't like, results that are uncomfortable. A lot of people, frankly, they just lack wisdom. They don't make wise choices and they suffer for that. And they still think it's strange and are surprised when there are consequences for those bad choices. But sometimes we suffer through no apparent fault of our own. We don't know the reason why we suffer. Why do we suffer? When we have made the, the, good, the good choices, when we have lived with some wisdom. This is a suffering that comes from accidents, some kind of bolt out of the blue, an unexpected health crisis, uh, the sickness, uh, either our own or the sickness of people that we love, the loss of people that we love. This is suffering that we don't know the reason for it, and still, when that happens, we're surprised. But Peter is talking a little about a little bit something different when he's talking about suffering. The suffering Peter is talking about is persecution and social ostracization, uh, being socially ostracized because of faith in Jesus Christ. And for most of us, frankly, this kind of suffering is not really familiar to us. It's, we have it pretty easy here in this country. We have it easy here in the United States compared to other places, although in the United States, this norm kind of has praying for this and a part of humility and repentance this morning. There are starting to be social costs and consequences once again for being identified as a Christian. At least here in Eugene, Oregon. I don't I can't speak to other places. But being a Christian here in Eugene, it raises the eyebrow. People react to that a certain way. Uh, it's a derogatory term. It's, it's not something that's popular. Um, a lot of assumptions are made when we use that label or when we take that label up. And even as mild as it still is, relatively speaking to the flow of history, it's very mild. We're still surprised when it happens. Peter tells us to rejoice. And this is what Jesus, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, when he's speaking these words of beatitude. Uh, uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted, uh, for they shall receive the kingdom of God, it says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's... Uh, I probably quoted that a little bit wrong because I'm doing that from memory. But that same language, rejoice, that Jesus uses, Peter learned and uses that same language, rejoice. Uh, it's the same kind of thinking that James had when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces certain things. 
When, our faith, when we go through trials, when we suffer, things come out of that. Uh, and it's not that we rejoice in the trials themselves, but we rejoice in a good God who is going to use these things for our blessing and to help better us. So, without trials, without difficult things, without that kind of pressure on us, we gain wisdom that can only come through trials. Do you realize that? You learn things that can only be taught through hardship you have experienced. A life experience that's long enough is what produces a kind of wisdom. We have empathy and compassion that we would not have as a people who have not suffered. And if you haven't suffered, you're not a compassionate or empathetic person. Uh, if we um, have not loved deeply, if we've not loved fully, and love means an experience of pain. If you've not experienced the pain of love, you've not known the fullness of love. Uh, but really, the suffering that Peter's talking about this morning, it's a direct, a directly addressing the various ways that as a Christian, as people who take on the name of Christ, we can experience persecution, humiliation, and insult. So what were these, what were the, what were the persecutions these Christians were facing? We don't, we're not given a list, but if you read through 1 Peter, you can come up with an idea of what he's talking about. From chapter 2, verse 12, accusations of wrongdoing. Chapter 2, 18 through 20, physical abuse. Chapter 2, 23 and 3, 9, insults. Chapter 3, 14, threats. Chapter 4, verse 4, verbal abuse. So this is the things that they were facing. And it was just a ramp up because we know that a lot of martyrdom and other more harsh things were coming for them. But for some of us, our faith has become so anemic and it means so little to us that we hide from our neighbors and our co-workers the fact that we are Christians. The fact, the fact that we have a belief in God. You know, I'm not saying don't be wise about that. Don't. There have to, you have to have wisdom in the way you go about that. But at the end of the day, in this day and age that we are living in, in we need your boldness more than your political correctness. I'm just shooting it like I see it. I'm just speaking as I understand it. Uh, but sometimes sticking our necks out for putting in a good word for Jesus, it feels like a bridge too far for us. It's too uncomfortable. It makes things too uncomfortable. There's going to be other uncomfortable things that come from our avoidance of being uncomfortable. We know that Jesus was a man familiar with suffering. Jesus was persecuted. He was humiliated. He was insulted because of his unwavering faith in the goodness of his heavenly Father. And when you and I suffer in some way, in some small way, because we take on the name Christ, when we try to be associated with Jesus, Peter tells us to rejoice that when bad things come our way for taking on the name of Christ, he tells us to rejoice because we are standing together with Jesus. We are in solidarity together with Jesus Christ. 4.14 says this, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Again, we don't rejoice in the suffering itself. We don't take some kind of perverse pleasure in misery. And we don't go looking for trouble. But there can be joy for the person of faith who understands how suffering puts them in solidarity with Jesus. But, you know, Peter, he doesn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter. Uh, you want to read about the Holy Spirit, you look a lot of other places. Uh, you look at Acts, you look at John, uh, his gospel. But Peter does mention the Holy Spirit here. And uh, the Bible, it shares certain addresses where we can find the Holy Spirit. Certain places that we know reliably that the Spirit is going to show up. Uh, and this is one of those places. In a place of persecution where you're putting your neck on the line for Jesus Christ, that is a, that is a Holy Spirit home address there that you can expect to find Him. So, once again, Peter is taking on uh, word art or images that come from other parts of the Bible. So people would hear spirit of, spirit of something, spirit of glory, uh, and they're going back to the words of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so what Peter is claiming here, it's pretty radical. What Peter is claiming is that the same spirit God predicted to rest upon the Messiah also rests on the believer who is willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's a promise of God that you can bank on. then he talks about the manner in which we suffer. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or of any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So the reason for our suffering is important. Are you really suffering because you're trying to bring Jesus into the conversation anywhere? Or is your suffering because of your own stupidity and bad choices and your own mistakes? Uh, bad choices that carry certain consequences. I'm not talking about rocket science. Even John Wayne understood this stuff. Life is hard. It's even harder if you're stupid. It's not a surprise. But if the suffering that we have is directly tied to faith in Jesus Christ, if the suffering you have is because you're actively trying to do good, you're actively pursuing good in this world, and you catch some flack for it because of the name of Jesus, there is going to be special help and special blessing for you. There's going to be closeness and intimacy from the Holy Spirit. So 1 Peter chapter 4 is actually one of the few places in the New Testament that they use the name Christian. Christian. Think about this. This was a brand new word back in Peter's day when he was writing this. Uh, it was a derogatory word 
meant to belittle and shame the disciples and followers of Jesus. Oh, it's one of those Christians. Those Christians. And church history says we took those things. We took things like a cross. And we said, yes, we claim a cross. We claim suffering. Yes, we claim this derogatory name, little Christs. Little Christ people. Little simpleton Christ people. We'll take that as our name. That's okay. If I can just have a chance to let help you look at Jesus Christ. If I can just tell you that he is the one who's changed my life. That has given me new purpose and new meaning. So now in some places, like Eugene, Oregon, being called a Christian, it's probably a derogatory term once again. Uh, but you know what? Be proud of that. Be proud of your association with Jesus Christ. Don't hide from it. Don't run away from it. Unpopular message number one, suffering. Unpopular message number two, judgment. Judgment. Peter's just full of things. And it's amazing. He needs this for encouragement for us. He says these words. For, if it is, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Uh, and so Peter here, he's quoting from Proverbs. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? And what Peter is saying is, as hard as it is, for those of us who are in Christ, it's going to be a whole lot harder for others who are not claiming Jesus, who deny Him, and who run from Him, and who belittle His name. Uh, and it's interesting that Peter views our time of judgment as beginning now in this life when we are persecuted for the name of Jesus. It's not fun, and it's uncomfortable. But you, you know, if you take on the name Christ, you will be associated with Him. And it's going to be a whole lot easier for us in the day of judgment that's coming if you have made Jesus your friend. As disciples, we know, like from Paul's words, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to face judgment, that you're not going to have to answer for the way you have spent your years here on this earth. Every one of us is going to go there and we're going to answer and it's going to be not fun and it's going to be very uncomfortable as you have your life called into question. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And the only thing that's going to matter in the end with any of this is whether, what, what, whether or not Jesus claims you. Whether or not Jesus Christ says, this one, I see all of this, I know all of this, but
that this one is mine. If Jesus says that about you, no other, no other answer to that question matters. Is Jesus your friend? Uh, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. So the fact that we suffer, the fact that there's a kind of judgment that we undergo even now, it shouldn't derail your faith. We shouldn't think it's strange that we go through hard times. We just keep on doing good things in the name of Jesus. We keep on going together with Jesus. So the word art of Peter is saturated with this language from the Old Testament. So here, again, we find Peter using this language, commit themselves. It's uh, Psalm 31.5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth, which we are familiar with mostly because Jesus quotes in part this psalm while he's hanging on the cross, showing us the ultimate example of love. So this Greek word commit, it means to entrust something to someone for safekeeping. I've got something I need to keep safe. I am entrusting it to someone who is able to protect that more than I am able to protect that. As Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father on the cross, uh, Christians, we are called to entrust our bodies, our souls, our lives, our, even our reputation, even you know, taking some flack for being associated with Jesus. Our entire being, our psyche, everything. We entrust that into the hands of a God who's faithful. So, BP, uh, you can come up. This is the sermon for you. A couple closing thoughts, and then we'll be done. Peter's invitation to these early Christians, and to us as well, it is meant to be a tremendous encouragement. And we don't usually think about things like suffering and judgment as a word of encouragement. But the encouragement is this. No matter what you are going through, no matter what is going to come, no matter what is thrown at you, God has got you. And he's got you right here. Right here. It's not our circumstances. It's not the circumstances you inhabit. The 
The circumstances you inhabit, it looks like judgment against us. It feels like suffering. It's not fun, our circumstances sometimes. But our freedom comes through our faith. Do I believe it's whether or not we believe God actually has us in the palm of his hand? Is God really going to take care of me? If you believe that God has got your back, you're going to live in freedom. Jesus Christ, he suffered a lot. Jesus Christ is the freest human being that ever lived in history. You ever think about where Jesus' freedom came from? It was his unwavering trust in the goodness of his heavenly Father. My God is so good that none of the rest of this matters. Opportunity to come forward and respond while we stand and sing together. 